You are listening to the Scottish Watches Live Lux Edition. This audio is taken from our weekly Friday afternoon YouTube get-together on the Scottish Watches Live channel. We put it here too, so you can enjoy it on the go and while doing other things in the same way you listen to the regular podcast shows. Since the original recording is broadcast on YouTube live over Zoom, please forgive the suboptimal audio at times. And now, on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Scottish Watches Live. If the tech is working fine, then you're seeing all the good people of the Scottish Watches team as usual. Plus, we have a special guest, uh, Nick from Fears, who handily enough, according to my YouTube screen, is bang in the middle, uh, which is nice and handy. Must have been the way that he joined the call. But we will start, as we normally do, by going round the doors, finding out who you are, where you are, and what you're wearing. According to my screen, first up, it is Ralph. Right. Hi. My name is Ralph. I'm in Dubai. I'm wearing today the Tudor Black Bay 58 in blue. Good. And next up is Sean. Hi, guys. I'm Sean uh, at the Complicated Wrist on Instagram. I'm from Washington, D.C., and today I'm wearing the Explore, the double one four two seven zero. Very, very good. And then next up, Mr. Harry Potter himself is Derek. Hey, I'm Derek in uh, Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> uh, and I'm wearing the, uh, the Ferrer Lander GMT today. Cool. And then Sophie, who may or may not be joined by Harry Potter Jr., depending whether she's kicked kicked him out I, the, the room. Or- I kicked him out of the little Harry Potter. I'm Sophie Rindler. Find me on Instagram at Sophie Rindler. I am live from Paris and I'm still wearing my Omega uh, Speedmaster Blue Dial because that's the only one I brought with me in Europe. Love a watch. And then our special guest for today, Mr. Bowman Scargill of Fears Watch Company. Where are you? And you better be wearing a Fears. I absolutely am. Yes. So I'm Nick from Fears Watches. Uh, I'm wearing a Fears Redcliffe Blue, um, which I always wear this watch on the day we launch anything new because this is the very first watch my family's company made after the relaunch. So it's very sentimental, very special. But I am in very cold, windy and wet Canterbury in the bottom part of England. Good, good. And then Ricky, who's not in the bottom part of England, but is somewhere in Scotland. Uh, Ricky from near Glasgow, as we like to say. And today I have got the G-Shock G3PO, but I also have the Christopher Ward super compressed as well, which I'm playing around with. Cool. Very good. And then two more to go. We have Sam, stateside Sam. Hey, yeah, I'm Sam. You can find me on Instagram at Sam and her watch box. And I'm in Colorado. Today I'm wearing my Zodiac Grand Hydra. Mm. Cool. And finally, Arthur, because Dave has still not joined us. You're last up today. All right. Hey, I'm Arthur. Uh, tick, tick, room on Instagram. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. And today I'm wearing my Speedy Professional on a suede strap because it's starting to turn to fall here. Good stuff. Well, thank you all very much. I'm, of course, wearing a Panerai and I'm old school somewhere near Glasgow. Well, the big news today, which is why we are joined by Nick, is Nick has launched two new watches. I shall share the screen. And Nick, you can talk us through the heartache that has gone into producing these during a time of lockdown. Uh, they're both Brunswick models, the Salmon and the Midas Silver. Oh, we've seen these before, Rick. 
Uh, so this is all old news as far as we are concerned. Uh, uh, talk us through it, Nick. Well, yes, you guys got the uh, the sneak peek last week, didn't you? But um, yeah, so actually I was saying just before we went live how I realised this morning when I was walking to my office through the centre of Canterbury that today is exactly six months to the day of when I did my first shift at Asda as the world went into lockdown and I needed to do a second job to save the company and see us through this crisis. And I hadn't realised that, but actually kind of, I mean, these watches were only, I only came up with the idea for them, uh, started concepting and developing and then building them in the last six months. So these were never on the, the cards. This was not what we were going to do this year. And then it very quickly became what I wanted to do, what felt right to do. And yeah, today is sort of, you know, as you say, it is uh, six, six months is very quick to develop um, a watch. Now, fortunately, we're using the same case as we've already got in our, our white and blue dial variants. Um, but coming up with a complete new dial, a new numeral shape, and trying out new textures and materials. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of sleepless nights. Um, so it's it's wonderful to just see them see them out there. And it's been lovely to see everyone's reaction to them. You know, nearly, nearly all of it positive, which is which is very nice because, you know, as we all know, watches are very, very subjective, which is brilliant. Um, so yeah, but the fact that people like them is, is great. So um, yeah, the one you've got on, on the screen at the moment, the, uh, the Brunswick Salmon. Is that scoring pads? Yeah, they are. They are. So funny story about this photo. We we always do a photo where the watch is laying down on something that is representative of the colour of the dial. We've been doing this for about four years now. And for this, I couldn't work out what I wanted because it's salmon. But salmon is actually quite coral. It's quite coppery. It's, it's not pink. It's not like that candy pink Rolex. And we kept trying different things like crayons, pencil, and just nothing worked. And then I won't, I won't lie, I was walking through Harrods about two weeks ago, and I think it was, I think it was Mark Jacobs or somewhere in the handbag department. They had a big Perspex box from the ceiling filled with copper scourers. And I was just like, that's it. And by the time I left the store, I had got 40 copper scourers being shipped to the photo studio. But uh, yeah, so they are. So if anyone wants a copper scour, I've got looking for good homes. It's a good story. I like it. Um, but yeah, so this is the uh, the, the Brunswick salmon, and I mean, it, you'll see in all the photos the color looks slightly different, and that's because the dial is made using eighteen karat rose gold and copper, which means that when the light hits it, it will go from being a rich red right through to being a pale pink. Um, I joked when I was in Scotland, this isn't, you know, if we talk about it as a salmon dial, this isn't, this isn't farmed salmon. This is fresh line caught salmon. Yeah, it is a spectacular dial. In particular, I like the numeral set. Talk us through this because this is your own uh, set. This is your own property. Yes. So... For a while, I'd been thinking that it would be nice to have a set of numerals that we could use on an increasing number of, of models. And they, you know, without getting uh, ideas above my station, you know, people talk about the Breguet numerals. Well, one day, many, many years after I've passed away, it'd be lovely if people look back and said, oh, well, they're the fears numerals. But I, 
I think actually bearing in mind, you know, next year Fears will celebrate the 175th anniversary of the original founding of the company. When I was doing this watch, I thought actually we need, we need something special here rather than using an off the shelf set. And so I commissioned uh, a horological typographer called Lee. He's on, um, he's on Instagram as one hour watch. He does these wonderful daily illustrations, but he also does typography for, for watch styles. And he's worked with people like uh, Habering Squared and uh, Josh Shapiro. And I said to him, well, look, if I send you watches and archive material, if you use that as the basis, but I want something contemporary, but it can't look like it was designed in 2020. You know, when you look back on it, it should feel like it's part of the DNA, but it should have enough of a sort of heritage in its skeleton. And I have to say, I mean, bearing in mind, we, these were all developed remotely. You know, he was doing these over, you know, over Zoom calls, WhatsApps, phone calls. It's just incredible what he's done. Yeah, this is some of his work. I mean, it is... It is really phenomenal. It's really special. Um, he's got such a good eye for detail. And I mean, when you're looking at a numeral, those numerals on the dial are two millimeters tall. And yet when you get up close to them, you can see every little curve, every little thing to mean that they are perfectly proportioned. And I'm just, yeah, over the moon with them. And then we, we have the numerals made by the dial maker. So they're not stamped in, in Asia, which is where numerals usually are made. Um, these are all CNC milled to 0.5 mil high, then they're diamond polished, sandblasted, and then coated in anthracite. And again, if we were to paint them, paint them gray, they're always going to be gray. Coat them in a real material, and they go from charcoal through to like a dove gray, depending on the light. For me, I'm just, I'm obsessed with how light changes the things. And actually with the hand brushing on the dial, basically every time you look at this dial, it will be a unique shade of colors. Like it will almost be impossible to see it exactly the same both times. And I love that. For me, that's just part of the fun of creating things. Talk us through then the difference between this and the new uh, Midas with the silver dial. Yeah, so the Midas came out in 2018 and it's, the reason we call it the Midas, it's not solid, it's not solid, uh, solid gold. Um, what we've done is basically we machine the case in phosphor bronze. We then do several layers of coating with copper, 18 karat rose gold, nine karat yellow gold. And basically with the, with the bronze base, you end up with this really warm, unique shade of gold, which we call jewel gold. So it's not a bright 18 karat yellow, but it's not as pink as a, a rose gold. And it's very much like the you know, if, if you look at a gold watch from say the 1950s or 60s, it's a different alloy to what they make gold today. So you, you've got that warmth to it because of how they used to make it. And so we've recreated that. Um, the dial layout is the same as the Midas, but with a few, a few differences. So with the, uh, the color, we use rhodium as the plating. So again, using actual precious metal to, to plate it. And then after the diamond polishing, we, we, we leave the numerals with this mirror shine and then do a dual gold plating on them. So every single numeral goes for about, I think we worked out, it's about eight processes before it's then hand riveted onto the dial. And, you know, for me, it's, it's a joy to work with the dial makers. And actually I, I sent some of these photos and our launch videos 
um, over WhatsApp this morning to the doll maker. And he came back 20 minutes later and he said he had basically called a meeting in the workshop, got everyone together and she'd been showing them to everyone who had worked on the dial because obviously they work on the dial and then it gets shipped. And nine times out of 10, they never see it in the final watch. And for me, it's like, well, it's all part of the same package, you know. And when is this uh, going to be available? Uh, so the Midas is available right now. Um, sorry, the I meant to say the salmon is available right now. Uh, the first few in the first batch have sold this morning, um, but we've got a couple left. Um, the Midas are being built at the moment and they will be, well, they're available to buy today and then we're shipping uh, at the end of next month. So you're happy with the way the launch has gone? Yes. I mean, so when we launched our last watch in November, we took over the top floor of a skyscraper in the city of London. We had bucket loads of, of champagne. We had, I think, 100 guests. I mean, it was just a wonderful launch party and event, you know, celebration of, of a new product. And, you know, here, here we are today. I mean, I, I, I celebrated this morning by having breakfast at McDonald's. Um, but considering that you can't do an event like that, considering that the usual way of, of showing watches in person, you know, is it, just not possible. I feel it's gone really well, really well. And I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we commissioned some, some videos for the watches, extra photography, you know, made sure that key people saw it in person so they could take their own photos and just, yeah, I mean, as a small brand with, you know, pretty much a zero marketing budget, it's it, it's basically just trying to find ways to create excitement around it when you can't just put on a big event, invite everyone down, ply them with alcohol, and and then they say nice things about you. You've got you've got to actually be a bit more clever than that. <laughs> <laughs> just send bottles of alcohol out like Horace and Rolex, though. Well, there we go. I think yes, that's it. You know, we'll, we'll get some, for the next for the next launches. I'll I'll have to be sending out bottles of Kent sparkling wine. Blue wickets. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Anyone got any questions for Nick either here or in the chat? Then uh, feel free to post them. Yeah, I do. I do actually have a question. Um, how did you manage to make something happen in six months, considering how long it takes now to get um, anything from movements to parts to um, even building anything? with the uh, current situation, which is making everything slower than usual, but even the original situation before COVID, that was also very slow. I mean, I'm not sure what movement you're using in your watch, but I'm curious to see, to understand how you managed to make it in such a short time with probably a small original order. I don't think you ordered 500 oh, pieces of oh, this. No, no, no. I mean, you know, our first, we, we tend to build watches in batches of 10. So our first oh, order few. of dials, you know, our order of dials, I think, was 25, 30 dials, you know, very, very small. Um, so it's a combination of things. So one, because almost all of our suppliers we've now worked with for four years, um, not nonstop. And, and I mean, sadly, in, in the last few months, we've actually lost four suppliers to bankruptcy, um, which is very sad because these are the people I'm, you know, they're on my speed dial. I need X yeah. doing, you call them up and you do that. And that did cause quite a few problems. But as as uh, Rick and Ricky will tell you, I'm, I'm one of these people, I, I talk to everyone, you know. And so when I first launched, I made a point of just talking to all the other watch brands, whether they're Swiss, whether they're British. For me, it's like, 
at the end of the day, none of us competitors to each other because we're just competing against what we're talking about earlier, later on, you know, the Apple Watch. At the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. We're all yeah. doing something, creating a beautiful object that to be frank, we don't need to own, but we want to own. So once you move away the whole stupid ideas of, oh, we're competitors, you build up relationships. And I'll be honest, you know, our movement supply. So we use the ETA 7001 and we've got a good broker who we've always bought them from. We never go direct to ETA because that's that's useless. Um, and they went under. Just as literally oh. we were about to order 50 movements, they went under. And so you start scrambling around and everyone's laughing at you going, I don't know who you are. No, I'm not doing that. And in the end, I won't, I won't say who it was, but it was a watch company. I basically called up the CEO of a watch company on a Sunday and I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to fall on my sword here. I'm basically screwed. I'm ready to build watches and I need movements. And within two days, their um, workshop in Switzerland had FedExed the movements over to our workshop in the UK. That's cool. And I'll add, they sold them to me at cost of what they bought them from ETA for, which was just ridiculous. So, so, so that person certainly is owed one hell of a big pint of beer when I next get to see them in person. Um, but you know, it's, it's things like that when it came to things like the dials. So with my dial maker in Germany, we are the, absolutely their smallest customer in terms of volume, in terms of, you know, the size of brand. Um, but I've, you know, we've worked with them for three years now. Uh, they were my first place I went to when restrictions lifted on flying. I got on a plane and went straight over there. Um, but also, as we went into lockdown, I made a, a slightly weird idea in the, in the concept of business. I settled every single invoice early. And... I'm proud to say in four years, we never paid an invoice late to any of our suppliers. And during lockdown, the CEO of the Darmaker said to me, you said, you're pretty much the only outstanding invoice which actually got paid. <laughs> you know, a lot of the watch brands, we're talking about big brands um, and also some other yeah. quite big independent brands did not pay. And I, I appreciate it. I get it. Like cash flow is, is rubbish. And that's part of why I was working night shift as does to make sure that I could you know, settle everything. But it also meant that when they were back up and running, straight away, they're like, what do you need making? If you want to make something, right. we will put you number one on production. We will get this done and turn it around. And, you know, they, they said that A, with the, especially with the salmon dial, they said it's one of the quickest dials they've ever done from initial like 2D design to finished shipped dials. But they also said it was one of their favorites because we had played around and experimented with a few different new textures and, and ways of processing. It. And they were like, we're happy to do that R and D and, and, and absorb the cost of it because you know what you paid the invoice. And I, I think it's that thing. It's the loyalty. I mean, it's a very old fashioned concept, but I think being in a lucky position of having restarted and running my family's business, you know, it is the family name on the dial. You kind of, you've reputation is very important. So yeah, to answer your question, it's, okay. It, it, yeah, it would almost be impossible if it wasn't for having done four years of doing a lot of things differently. Yeah, and you also buy very small quantities, which is also why you cannot offer your watches at, you know, the bargains that we sometimes see with micro brands, like on a pre-sale at exactly. whatever, exactly. you know, it's very well, small price. I know we're talking about this in a possibly in a future Scottish Watches podcast episode, but... You know, on all of our watches, so on, on, on the Salmon Dar watch, 
you know, the watch hands that you see, which we make mm -hmm. in the workshop in the UK and are firmly blued, they're about 90% of the value of the ETA movement ticking away inside. The movement, and that's the price. You know, yeah. It basically goes case, dial, hands, movement, strap in that, that order in terms of the cost of things. The movement's great. We service it before we fit it, but, you know, it's, it, it's a movement. Whereas with the bits you see every day, that's where all the money goes. You know, it, it has to in my eyes. Yeah. That makes sense. I Good really, stuff. really like it. I just wanted to say the typeface for me makes it. I particularly like the four and the eight have a lot of character. And I'm, I'm just the kind of person who gets obsessed with those details and hearing you talk about it with all that passion is, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Like, look, what's, what's on the story with the seven? And I really must applaud you for all of the transparency that you have, not only now in the, in the podcast, but also on, on your website to say where everything is coming from and, mm. and how you made it. It's really great. It's really lovely to see. Thank you. I mean, it's, mm. it's, it's potentially a risky thing being very open and saying, look, you know, this is where it is made. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to start, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, look, you know, everything, we've made everything in the UK. Well, of course we haven't. I mean, try making a sapphire crystal to the standard and the precision of that. You're going to Hong Kong. I mean, there, there are places, right. yeah. Britain, but like not, certainly not on a watch costing £3,000. Um, so you go to Hong Kong, but you just go to one of the best sapphire makers. You know, it's it's working with people and being honest about who you're working with. You know, we, we don't sell many, we don't sell hundreds and thousands of watches a year. We sell a few hundred a year. But actually, for me, it's knowing that every watch that goes out the door is, you know, is built right. But it is also, yeah, when it's on your wrist, you you haven't been you haven't been sold a story, you know. I do have to say, I, I find you uh, not that generous with this guy who gave you the movements to give him a pint, a pint of beer. I would go for scotch <laughs> or bourbon. Like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> he asked not to be named. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. He, yeah well fun. this is it i mean yeah <laughs> no I, I should be more generous with my uh, my gifts maybe maybe he'll maybe santa will bring him something extra special at christmas time <laughs> <laughs> well congratulations it's a beautiful collection i love it i think it's very, very well done yeah very kind it's gorgeous yes it's a uh, very very impressive uh, what's the difference in the quantities between the two that you expect to to make well the midas so up until this year, we only made five Midas watches a year. So the case on the steel watches is made in Germany. Uh, the Midas case is made entirely in the UK. And I mean, the one case alone will take several days of polishing because CNC machining in the UK isn't quite on the same level when it comes to cases as Germans. You need a lot of extra finishing. Um, but because of lockdown, the German case maker were closed. But the British one, because you know, there's that wonderful thing of a man in a shed whittling away. He was able to still machine things. So we ended up making double the number of cases because we had more time on our hands to actually finish them. So this year we're making the grand total of 10 Midas watches. So uh, yeah, well, I say 10, I mean, we've got seven available, three have, three have already gone, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not huge numbers. <laughs> Very good, very good. Well, let's move on and uh, Nick, give us your reaction. Similar stuff that's going on in the world of watches. First thing up, which uh, I think this broke this morning, in fact, and this is a tie-up between Watch of Switzerland Group 
Uh, this is on Watch Probes. You can watch the Switzerland group and Analog Shift. Uh, I know a lot about Watch of Switzerland. I don't know a great deal about Analog Shift. Who is the expert in the room on this? I suspect it's probably Sophie. Um, I don't know if I would be an expert, but yeah, I know James very well because of Red Bar. He was part of the founders of Red Bar. Um, and we became very friendly over the years. So I spoke to him this morning, but because I wanted to know a little more about, you know, what, what, what happened behind the scenes. And he told me I am overwhelmed with emails and messages. Uh, he will be coming on the podcast, though, which is great. So I'm very excited to be able to have, you know, you guys interview him and know more about it. Um, but James has been um, working with Watches of Switzerland almost from the beginning, from the moment Watches of Switzerland opened in Soho. Um, analog Shift had a small display window within the store and there were their only pre-owned watches, but they were not just pre-owned, they were pre-owned and vintage as well. They were not just proposing the classic Submariner from five years ago. They were going for something more interesting with more substance and more story because that's what James is good at. Um, I wasn't sure how far they would be going because I know that Watches of Switzerland has been looking for a while to develop their pre-owned market and kind of, you know, compete with Tourneau and now Bookerer. And I know that they talked to several people uh, about it to kind of bring that pre-owned market to the um, top of their uh, marketing, but they haven't done it. So I think the reason is that is this. Now we know why, and that's James is going to take over the entire pre-owned and vintage department for watches of Switzerland, and it's super exciting because he has the knowledge. He's also uh, someone that has been very present in the American side of the watch industry, um, and he is someone that is super. He's so chill. It's so easy to work with him. So I think that the test that they did for a couple of years with him in Soho was good enough that they decided to move further and bring him on board. So I think it's a, I think it's a great watch news. It's so good to hear positive stuff, you know, <laughs> something that is actually coming out. Do any, I was just asking if any of the New York based guys have any experience with analog shift over the period. Uh, I, I've never bought anything from them, but I have seen the little the little display case at Watches of Switzerland, um, and they there's some really nice stuff in there. But it was very small, so I was wondering, yeah. so Sophie, if you had any information, is this are they going to expand their pre-owned business? Is there going to be any kind of like e-commerce? Yeah. So from from the little that I know so far, yes, they are going to actually bring a full-on pre-owned. Um, definitely e-commerce there's no question but also in stores because like i said they have to compete with tourneau tourneau is the king in pre-owned they created it um watches of switzerland was weak in that department they had a little bit of pre-owned with mayors in florida but that's pretty much it at least in the u.s so they have to they have to get to that level um, choosing James, I think it's, it's, it means that they're probably not going to go crazy big at first, but I think what is smart about it is they're not going to directly compete with Booker. They're actually going to go into another 
uh, angle that is going to be more the vintage angle than the classic pre-owned and then slowly bring in the pre-owned because that's the easy part you know pre-owned is easy vintage is complicated but that the money is in vintage <laughs> and they're smart these guys they know uh, do you so, think yeah do you think that yeah. they're gonna go for like a specific brand maybe like no i don't think no, I don't think so. I, because you know what they already had in uh, in Soho, they had a, a, a nice variety of different brands. Uh, but if they go into vintage, it's not you know many brands are not going to be present depending on what era they're going to look at. But we'll see. It's very exciting. Right. Yeah. And the, so always, the Soho. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say they've been online for years now, and the Soho thing was just a small part of their collection. Like most of the real vintage yeah. stuff has always been available through their website. And over the last few years, I know he's been working with like GQ. Like he do like video reviews yeah. of like rappers' yeah, watches, videos, yeah. and, like yeah. and uh, like movie stars' watches for them. So he's kind of been building up this his own personality in the game too. So I think that's also very attractive for watches of Switzerland to bring in like this watch celebrity too to kind of right. be their face of yeah. this pre-owned side. And he's and young. He's you know he's young. not an old guy, so. And like Sophie, like you, like you said, the vintage leaning thing, I think is probably a good move. Cause it's like, when you go into Tourneau and look at the used section, it's a lot of kind of underwhelming used watches pretty much, but the, the analog shift, um, display, I watched the Switzerland, every one in there was like, Oh wow, look at that. Oh, and it was yeah, a lot of more in curated. interesting things than, right. than just, the than strength. just used watches. For sure. But what I'm interested in seeing is if it's going to be kind of that straw man thing for them too where they can shift unsold stuff from watches of switzerland over to the analog shift side to move that oh, for sure discount. i mean i would expect that, that point that <laughs> 70 it's pre-owned right. yes. so it's like how are they going to actually manage all that because they don't want yeah. to cheapen the analog shift like vintage focus aesthetic by moving too many like unsold aquaterras or something like that right. over well, I was going to just say, actually, on that point, I was on Bond Street the other day and I went into Vacheron and I always go in and try on the same watch and they're, they're very polite and patient. But this time I noticed they had the cards on the table and it said, ask us about boutique services. And I said to them, oh, please tell me what the boutique services are. And they said, oh, well, we now offer 24 month interest free credit. I was like, OK, fine. And they said, we also offer part exchange. And I said, okay, do tell me more. And they said, well, you may know that we're part of Richemont Group and Richemont owns Watchfinder, which means that we can take in a watch as part exchange. And that part exchange can also be your deposit on the interest free. So if you would like, and then they go through the whole thing. But interestingly, what he said to me was, and bear in mind, I, I always give a, a story of not being in the watch industry, just because I want to be treated like a just a customer. Um, well, not a customer because I can't afford a Vacheron, but anyway, <laughs> he said, if you go to Watchfinder, he said, but you'd want to part exchange because if you part exchange, because we're owned by the same group, we can guarantee we'll get you a 10% better price for your watch than if you went direct to them, which I thought That's was a very weird. interesting way of clearly they're going, right, the money is on selling brand new Vacherons, JLCs, mm -hmm. so they just want to get you know they're, they're willing to take a, a bit of a hit on the uh, the margins on right. that but i thought that was a very it's it was like okay great but it does sound like yeah that that, that could go wrong very quickly um but also i mean what finder don't do quite as much vintage i mean they have the odd piece but it's right. much more 
or pre-owned. And is this the Switzerland group responding to Houdinki in terms of the New York scene? As Houdinki move increasingly into Watch of Switzerland territory in terms of being a retailer, is this Watch of Switzerland trying to bring some Ben Clymer cool into the into the group? <laughs> I Why really don't off? know. I don't know if I don't know what the relationship would be between I mean, it wouldn't make too much sense, though, because analog shift is also a media in some way. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I have no answer to this. <laughs> Not sure. I don't think that they would put the two of them against each other. You don't think? Do, 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 do you think there will be something like, um, um, we have one used pre-owned dealer here, very, he's here for decades now. And he offers you every watch that he sells to you to buy it back 25% lower within two years if it's in good condition. So which is a great way of just changing your collection, right? You buy watches from them, you bring them back to them. And for 25% less, he takes it back. So that's quite, it's quite interesting. Maybe they can uh, do something else. Hmm? Even Hublot. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He'll also take your Rolex back at 25% off. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was Ricky a nice segue into our first hit miss maybe of the week, which is this the Hublo Classic Fusion 40 years anniversary, which we've spoken about in the podcast, and I rather like. What does everybody else think? I'll second that. I adore this watch. I think it's amazing for many reasons. I like it too. It just oh, makes Hublot looks more human. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if it makes sense. Like everything about that watch looks like a watch you can wear. <laughs> right. I think it's one of the better looking Hublots these days. Yeah, mm. it's more subtle. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the screws and the case. I, like they kind of want to be like an AP or something, but. Well, that's me. It makes me think of a smartwatch, though. Anytime I just see a plain black dial now, I just think, oh, that's like an Apple Watch or something. It's Samsung <laughs> or something. It just feels or like digital. Yeah. yeah it just this is what you want. Do you have your kids then trying to swipe on it? Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, if you it think. It doesn't do anything, it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> well, 40 years ago, Hublot basically started the idea of putting like having precious metal and putting rubber on it and rubber straps. I mean, nowadays we take them for granted, but back in the eighties, nineties, they were pretty much the only people doing it. And I mean, you know, we obviously love the, the Royal Oak and the Nautilus, especially the Royal Oak for starting that, that trend of integrated sports watch. But actually, you know, Hublot started something special in 1980, which nowadays, because maybe of, of the marketing in the, the, the pre in the boom days, everyone sort of, well, not everyone, but a lot of people will take the piss out of them. But actually, yeah, I kind of hats off. And I really like the fact they're marking this. And I think actually that anyone today who's wearing a rubber strap, you kind of need to nod at this watch a little bit and just say thank you. Because, well, it's a bit like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I think it's very difficult to just dismiss it. I think it's actually significant because of what Hublot had done in the past. Whether they still do it today, I mean, I'll leave that out. But I like this watch because of what it represented and what it created and started. 
So we like this watch, but if I then tell you that it's 45 mil, what do oh, you think? I thought, I thought it was smaller for some yeah. reason. Yeah. It's, for four, it's a 45 mil watch. That's a miss. That's, oh. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think it doesn't, it doesn't wear that big because of the, the, the case. You know, it's like going bulbously in the, in the bottom a bit, but uh, I think it doesn't, it doesn't wear that big. Probably wears just, like 42. I just assumed from its relative simplicity that it was more like 41, 42, but. Yeah. yeah. Mm. How much, Rick? It is the grand total of a, the cheapest uh, Hubo- oh, I think it's 8200 euro in in titanium and 10,000 something in ceramic and the yeah. gold is 20 almost 25,000 euros yeah they are all limited edition so there's 100 mm-hmm. of the yellow gold 200 in titanium and 200 in black ceramic so for a 40th anniversary watch for those prices in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not too bad if you can wear a 45 mil watch. Yeah. So let's do that hit and miss maybe thing. Get as your you know what, what I'm just realizing is we're, we're having a habit of not explaining the hit and miss maybe thing to any of the guests beforehand. <laughs> we see the thing is hit and miss maybe is a UK concept. There used to be a famous TV show where hit and miss maybe it was for reviewing pop music. So I'm sure Nicholas can drag that back in his memory from going live. Do you remember going? Well, Nick? I, I, I was assuming we were going on a no lighty, no likey, but <laughs> different, show, different show. Okay. Um, anyway, so show us your oh, Rick, Thumbs is this up. more about if we think it's going to be popular in the world or what we personally think? Oh, it it's is. going to be a hit with us or hit with everybody? For you to entirely make up the rules as you see fit. Okay, then. Not who dinky, and we don't have a, a, a rule book. So I say hit miss maybe, and you say <laughs> like for whatever reasons you can come up with. And the answer is, oh, something. Okay, misses. It's kind of kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, Mick. Uh, I, I must admit, I hated Rublo. I thought they were ridiculous watches. Uh, ugly but i said the same thing about rolex and i got a rolex and i said the same thing about omega and i got an omega so who knows <laughs> so the question is then what will you say about this the apple watch series six so first up is this a watch that's the time well <laughs> so yeah, hard, so, yeah. It's, it's hard to say it's not it is it has a crown. I mean, the computer, though, at its heart. I mean, you're wearing it on your wrist, but it's still like a computer. Even though all yeah. our computers also have a clock function, it's still, to me, always just going to be a computer that you're wearing. And the fact that you're wearing it on your wrist doesn't make it a watch, but it's all relative. It doesn't if tell the time. If they're saying it's a watch, everyone's like, yeah, okay, great. That's yeah, but is it, any different, is it any different than a watch, you know, from 25 years ago that that you could put your phone number contacts in and do calculations and, and all that. I don't know. I was, I was too young <laughs> 25 years ago to keep track of all that on my calculator watch. But good point. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever the kids want to wear and call, like it's all marketing. You can tell better as a watch than saying, here's a wrist computer. Like that makes sense. Just that sounds cooler. It's a mechanical chronograph, just a, a mechanical computer in a way. Right. 
Yeah. It's getting real philosophical. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't have the sensitivity to the Apple Watch. I tried and I'm like, okay, I just have my phone. I just, it never did it to me. Maybe I need to be unhealthy. Maybe if I have diabetes, it will help. That's why Rick's getting one. I'm getting one. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely impressive. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, now, technology they're packing into that now. And right. They'll, Whale change lives like that's all fantastic but at that point yeah take it beyond a watch or something because to me the whole point of wearing a watch nowadays is to revolt against all the technology in your life to go back to basics and appreciate the mechanical side the fact that someone's spending so much time milling individual like numerals for a new salmon dial on something like that's the art that's kind of right hypothesis to mass production for something that you're going to trade in in two years for the next version that's going to be coming but well, then what about quartz quartz is still like i can yeah that's just a movement right quartz quartz it's just so you still have a diet yeah it's just the way to power the wash right and then you get in the spring drive like it's all fair it's all relative i mean whatever apple's going to sell a bunch of these yeah i know yeah, yeah i just don't get the more... appeal of having like a Apple Watch and then your Apple phone right in your back pocket. Like it's the same thing, just a smaller version. What's the point of having both? And like you said, trading it in for the next one in two years. I, I no, no, no. Hey, I, I have I still my Series Zero, like the, the very, very first Apple Watch. And it is terribly slow and it's a pain to use because it is really slow. It was that's why they, they upgraded very quickly. Um, but what I found first of all these rings really do motivate to do more things like exercising and all of this stuff the second thing actually because you're you can tailor which notifications you want to get on your watch you just put your most important things on it because you don't want your wrist to vibrate all the time right so what i found is that i take out my phone so much less because most of the notifications on my phone just lead me to do other things right you think like, oh, let me quickly order something. And then 15 minutes later, you think, what did I want to do? Because you had some notifications and you did everything else except what you wanted to do. With a, with a watch, you don't have that. You really just get the information you want. And that's it. You don't, get, not, you don't get sucked into games of Angry Birds. Okay. Correct. <laughs> so I found this actually quite liberating that I spent less time on my phone because I had an Apple Watch. Yeah, but then, that's cool. Hmm. I didn't know that you could customize it like that. I thought it was just like every yeah. notification you get on your phone, right. you get on your, your watch. Oh, no, 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 no. You can really selectively say which ones you want, and which contacts you want to have messages from and, and all of the stuff. Yeah. I mean, in that well, sense, it's really just like a, yeah. a 20, 21st century tool watch. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just says watch. Anyway. But, but you I, changed I, my I, mind, yeah. But I think that the problem is still the looks to a certain extent. Nice yeah. bands, very comfortable and all of this stuff. And I think we have to thank Apple for the quick release of the watch bands. Without Apple, we probably would still all use um, spring bar tools, which we still do. But I mean, it is quite nice to have this quick release functions. What now. band does it come with like originally? Is it like a metal one or? You can choose that. I yeah. think on the new ones, you can choose from like 25 different options. Okay. Apple will always sell you something else to go along with. Oh, yeah. Always. 
<laughs> general, I mean, the general consensus in the chat seems to be that they have their place. Like they don't replace right, yeah. any of the watches that that no. we that we no, love, but, but it has its place. Yeah, like it's it's for me, it's a hit for what it is. But I'm with Sean. This is not the reason I like or wear watches. Absolutely, but I think also it brings people into paying more money for watches. Right. I mean, when we all go back to our first watch that we bought, that was like. 200 or 300 dollars we thought oh my god i have never spent so much money on a watch and then yep. the apple watch comes yeah. out and it Easily. starts at 300 dollars yeah. goes up and now people think like oh a thousand dollars for a watch right and then once you pay a thousand dollars you think oh, three thousand not so bad right? <laughs> and you can buy the super homage to it and get the moser right didn't moser do it yeah so we love that the moser one without the hands it's just the minute repeater that yeah. looks like an apple watch oh my god what a cool watch so that's the trajectory now you start with your yeah. apple watch and with your moser and then you go to a moser <laughs> that's that's amazing right <laughs> Your votes then hit miss maybe on the Apple Watch Series Six. It's a hit, it's a miss, and for some, it's a maybe. So it's a fairly even spot again. I have actually gone back to the previous episodes and worked it out. So currently in the lead is the A Lion Zona collection and the Rolex OP as being the ones that got the most love on the episodes you can go back and watch the old ones for that okay i'm now going to hand off to both derek and sean to talk us through this next one so we'll start with derek this is the baltic uh, that i've come up with two new pieces let me just share the screen for your benefit it should be this one here there you go are you seeing the baltic hms and by compact Double zero two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is the the redesign of Baltic's two non dive watches, the the Bicompax Chronograph and the uh, three hand HMS. Um, and the, I think they got a lot of good press on on this new design because of the worn and wound limited editions that Going sold out sold out in about five minutes and are now selling for. 2000% of, of what they cost. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I got. What do you got, Sean? Uh, I really love the three hand version, uh, especially the silver dial, because it, it's the dial I wanted on my JLC sector master control date. <laughs> it's just, the dials executed better. They bring out the minute markers all the way to the edge, whereas the JLC leaves that like blank ring that just makes it feel incomplete. So I love the dial because it's what I wish JLC would have done with the dial. I don't mm -hmm. love the Miyota movement and I don't love the Hess like crystal on it, but otherwise I think it's a great value. It's they're beautiful looking watches. I mean, I think they're going to be big sellers, especially coming off the back insane. of the salmon dial worn and wound that just went bananas. Those are still, still reselling for like $2,000. Yeah. The chronographs are going for $2,000 and they've got a seagull movement in them. I'm like, oh my okay, y'all. <laughs> calm down go buy another rolex just calm down yeah. i i like this a lot and i think it's kind of fun how like if you like this look this sort of sector dial look there's the baltic at this price point 
those the Longine like three-hander heritage tuxedo one that came out recently sort of here and then the JLC sector sort of here so you can get the look regardless of what your budget is and I mm -hmm. that's one thing I really like about this it's one of the best looking of those three too so I used to love the detailing oh good sorry no, 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 I was going to say I, I, love, I used to wear, wear a Baltic, um, and I loved it. I mean, it's really they're really for the price they're incredibly good value. They're really solid, well built. The problem was I had one which had like a grey dial with the blued hands, and you just could not read it. Like I mean, you, it was impossible to read. So I ended up selling it. But with these, they're just they're really good. I sent I sent their. Um, one, one of the co-founders, the, uh, an email on the day of the launch, and it was just like, you know, thanks for making my job harder. We're in a different price point, but when you're making stuff this good, this is amazing. You know, if, if my husband hadn't banned me buying any more watches, I would have one of these, especially the one you've got on screen now, Rick. I think that's a stunning watch. I, I think you should buy one to your husband so you can have it. Yeah. Then he can't <laughs> say no anymore. <laughs> if you in and just wear it every day, it's, it's fine. It's perfect. Yeah, and you can borrow it. <laughs> yeah i agree i love the detail that they put into this this whole dial i love the texture on it that is just gorgeous like a cherry on top of already a good dial and i just love how they got the details right where the line doesn't bisect baltic where it's the longines right. longines is the line kind of goes through the g and it, kinda, it just looks awkward whereas here mm -hmm. like they clearly paid attention to all the yeah. details at a price point that you probably not expect them to get everything so right and the three and a nine looks pretty good as well. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah I yes. like them. Brilliant. So there we go. I compact uh, 002, 649 euros. It is a 38 mil uh, watch. So too small for me, but the blue, I think, is is uh, cracking looking on that. And yeah, I used three. to own one of the 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 previous by the by compact 001 and it is a, is a really nice watch for the for the price is this a scottish company what is this well, a scottish company they're french aren't yeah they? french. yeah they're, no they're yeah. french yeah based in paris sorry. <laughs> yeah sorry ricky not everyone is scottish <laughs> or rick so sorry <laughs> we, we took over the the term baltic but we'll we'll just ignore that it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's in reference to how cold it is out here, is that it's Baltic, for those of you that are not familiar yeah. with this patois. Uh, so yeah, it's a seagull movement in the uh, chronograph. So hit miss maybe on this one. I think it's going to be a hit, but let's reveal the scores and the for the Baltics. It is a hit. Is everybody a hit? Oh, that's oh, unanimous. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Zona and the uh, Rolex Oyster Perpetual. So well done, Baltic, for hitting a what would appear to be home run. Now, talking about hitting things, let's move on as we start to draw to a close to this. <laughs> the view that have listened to a recent episode whereby we decided we kind of didn't really like this, but one of the people on screen today has some experience with Ralph Lauren on pole. So Nick, confess. Yeah, so back in 2007, when they first, Ralph Lauren brought out their first collection of watches, I was working at a Ralph Lauren store as well as at university. And I still say it was one of the best jobs I ever did, working for, as they called it, the pony stable. Um, 
And it was, and the watches came out and everyone was so excited. Oh, they made watches, they made watches. And then we're like, what? They are how many thousands of pounds? And bear in mind, 2007 was, you know, the, the watch community was not what it is today. Like people just weren't, and they were like, they're made with movements from Piaget who? Like means nothing. Yeah. And they, they were beautiful watches, incredibly well-made by the Richemont group, really well-designed. And they just fell completely flat. People just did not get it. And yes, Ralph Lauren's Ralph weird because they've got so many different brands, starting off with, I think, Lauren, which is the sort of department store brand and ending up with Ralph Lauren purple label right at the top. So you can own a Ralph Lauren, say like a top from Ralph Lauren costing like 30, 30 pounds or, you know, 330 pounds for almost the same thing depending on the label but when it came to the watches they were all up there they didn't do anything below several thousand pounds um and so they fell on the, 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 they fell down and you know it's a shame because if you ever find one they are amazing they made some beautiful like platinum ones really slim actually better looking than a breguet it was basically copying breguet but just i think making it better but that aside so then they brought out the the teddy bear watch, the, the bear watch. And that was two years ago. So cute, so beautiful, so like adorable. But again, still, it's like nearly 2,000 pounds, $2,000. But that was kind of quirky and different. But when you bring the symbol, which is polo, and polo is, you know, I don't want to be a, a brand snob, but like in the big scheme of things, polo is like nearer the bottom than the top. There are many other... Ralph Lauren sub-brands that are much higher up. Yeah, you've got the polo player. So why is it in a watch costing this amount? And then you come to the design. And I really don't like to hate on watches, but because I worked at Ralph Lauren for several years and I, while I was working there, it was their 40th anniversary and every member of staff globally got a signed letter from Ralph Lauren. So I've got this letter at home, which has actually been signed by Ralph Lauren from the chairman's office. And so I feel a real affinity to, to the brand still all these years later. And I'm just angry. This watch makes me really angry because it's a bad piece of design and it's overpriced. It's just, oh, I mean, if you brought it out for 500 pounds in 2007, it would have been a hit because it was just, that was pre-recession. Everyone loved big, bold, you know, logos everywhere. But come on, today in 2020, with so many other watches out there, and I think people's tastes aren't, it's not whether we have more refined, but people do have more sophisticated tastes or discerning because we're exposed to so many more watches. And you just look at this and you're going, I, ju I just don't get it. Anyway, as you can imagine, I'm probably going to be on a, a miss for this one. But anyway, I'll calm <laughs> down. Just, this is interesting, uh, your, your perspective. I actually feel differently about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I know I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Ralph Lauren watches um, story and history because I did a lot of work with them as well I actually think that this is first of all it's really entry level in price for Ralph Lauren it's, I think it's $1,600 or euros um, what, can you go back to the movement that's what I didn't see what it was the movement Just, the R R R is the RRL it's a Salita, which they've decided. Okay, so they did. They did it is also a Swiss movement. They didn't go to the Piaget IWC no. uh, identity, but it's it's good enough. And uh, you know, I, to me, it's it's actually fashion. It's kind of a fashion watch. I would 
put it into maybe the fashion watch category. I regret that the bezel, it doesn't rotate in both directions. I think they could have done that. Um, you know it, it's funny. That, I'm sorry. You don't think that'll confuse a number of people that might buy this as to why the bezel only turns in one direction? Well, <laughs> I, I think it should have been better if it was bi-directional, but okay. Um, what's inter interesting in this watch, I think, is that Polo is much bigger than Ralph Lauren. Like, it's actually a Polo brand, not a Ralph Lauren. If you look at the way it's written, you see how big the Polo is? That's what you see first. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see Ralph Lauren in, in very small writing. I think the green version is, to me, is really cool. It's very, it, it works. Um, and they needed to do something different because they came up with all these crazy watches in last year and the year before with this crazy engraved silver made in America, very cowboy for like 20 or 30 grand. <laughs> it was really expensive, hard to sell. So I think they're trying to regain some kind of um, uh, eyeballs and an audience. I'm not sure if it's going to be successful, but I wouldn't be as severe as as you nick on this because i think there is some kind of a cool factor to it and and it's you know it's the bear it's a, it's the polo it's the it's it, it works i think it's a nice image i don't know um i i don't find the price outraging either yeah. so do you I, think I, this is this, this is now the next level of a, like the swatch group so you have polo and then you have ralph lorraine level watches Maybe. You know, when you talk about fashion watches, you have like Hermes and you have Chanel and you have uh, Dior and yeah. Louis Vuitton, and they all make pretty good watches, mm -hmm. mostly. Um, and if you want to play in this level, or you want to play in the Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss arena. Yeah. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Watch -wise. But, but there, is a, there is a horological... Um, legitimacy still with Ralph Lauren because of their affiliation with the Richmond group and the fact that they have always used the movements uh, either from Piaget or from IWC and that was kind of their pride. Now they're going into a different style, right? They're going into Celita, mm -hmm. so we're going more into the micro brand style, but they do, there is a reason for it. And I think that the, they're smart enough to realize that there is something about the micro brands world that doesn't have to be cheap and poorly done and executed and can also be legitimate with a brand that has an existence. I think, uh, I think Nick made a good point uh, in, our, in our WhatsApp group that they got the launches, I feel like reversed of what they should have done. Like if they had released this design 15 years ago as maybe like a $500 quartz watch, it would have been a hit. And if they mm -hmm. released those 15 year old, more horologically inclined watches today, it'd be more in line with what people want. But again, do me. you think that 15 years ago, people would have bought something cheap from Ralph Lauren? They, they were in another dimension. You know, it was a high level brand. From the Polo brand, I think they would have. I mean, that's the difference to me. I mean, to me, like looking at the design of it, what Derek just said, like, Okay, I'm, I'm not a fan of the design. To me, it looks like it should be in like a $500 quartz watch that you see later at the outlet mall on sale for like 100 bucks. <laughs> right. Like that, that's just that's my personal opinion. But yeah. the, that's the aesthetic, especially the one on the NATO with the big like branding and stuff. 
feels like it's in the wrong decade, like like Derek and Nick kind of said. Bit, I mean, this is part of the issue that Ralph Lauren actually has today is is the fact that, you know, you've got all the different brands. And like, you know, if you bought one of those, you know, 15,000 pound platinum, beautiful, elegant disc watches from 2009, you know, you're wearing a Ralph Lauren watch and people are going to buy this. And I, yes, they may go, oh, it's a polo Ralph Lauren, but most people will use Ralph Lauren's name in there. And... Right. I think that's part of part of the issue. I just, you know, yes, I think in terms of when you consider, you know, it will be properly made, it's got a proper movement in it. Absolutely, the price justifies that. Yeah, no, hands down it does. I think, I think the design, I'm thinking, you know, it, it just, to me, it, it's, whereas, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I feel so different to this towards the Bear Watch. I would never have worn that Bear Watch from last year, but there was something kind of, quirky and cute with it but I, I look I at agree. this still the polo brand is you know the polo brand is you know 60 pounds for a polo shirt from polo ralph lauren whereas if you buy a polo shirt from ralph lauren purple label you're paying i think nearly 400 pounds and you both walk out the shop saying i'm wearing a ralph lauren polo shirt the difference is one has something on it and the other one doesn't same with jumpers you know you can buy a Ralph Lauren jumper for huge price change. I just, because it's the polo brand, I really feel like if this was quartz and 500 pounds, I would be, I wouldn't necessarily want to wear it, but for a bit of retro charm, take me back to those days working at the pony stable. Yeah, I probably would enjoy having one because it's, it's a laugh, it's fun, it's it's maximal branding. But at that price point, I'm like, no, just just make it a little, little, more wearable a little classier because it's clearly well built i mean they're, they're not going to they won't have partnered with anyone bad well, yeah. i'm getting the i'm going to calm down again so my, my my i'm not wearing an apple watch so i can't i know that my heart rate is gone high <laughs> so, so funny. Like ice watches or tk max tj max discount watches that you would see they don't look like that price point yeah Mm-hmm. It's the Michael Kors of the Swiss yeah. brands, the kind of you know, mm. that's mass market, and um, it's a it's a perceived value that they're playing on. It's marketing. It's a marketing watch for sure. They're even uglier than the Gucci watches from a couple of years ago. The, the bees. Yes, yes. I quite like those Gucci watches. Yeah, but did did they did they actually they they still control the watch design and uh, all of the watchmaking themselves? It's not that they just sign uh, sold the the label, right? Like Burberry did or other brands who just said, "Look again, here, give us a few hundred million, and you can sell Burberry watches for ten years." No, as far as I mean, as far as I'm aware, it still is. I mean, historically, there was always a big thing about the original Ralph Lauren watches that every single one was signed off by Ralph himself and it had to be something he would wear, which is why they were all, they were leaning more dressy and formal because that's, you know, who he is and how he, how he, you know, dresses. Um, but he's not involved in the day-to-day these days in the same way. I, 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 I don't know, um, but I can't, I mean, it's got so much of their DNA in there. Like, you know, it's it's not someone just going, oh, you know, we'll just slap the name on it. I mean, it's got like the Madras pattern on the strap. It's got like, you know, the pony player and it's got so much on there, but it does have a bit of that. And as, as Ricky said, I just, I'm looking at that and you're like, yeah, I'm seeing it next to like, you know, the underwear in, in, 
in TK Maxx <laughs> years to come. You know, it's just sat there going like, oh, look, I could get one of these or I could get one of the blinged out Michael Kors or, you know, it's just got that. It's got that feel for it. And yet it's brand new in 2020. Okay, let's bring this to a head then. This may be on the Ralph Lauren pool line. I don't think it's going to be difficult to predict, but I'm thinking Sophie is going to be... I'm looking for my picture. I'm maybe. I mean, I'm not a hit. I'm a maybe. I'm not a miss either. It's all misses and a single maybe. Oh, man, you people are so, so tough. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can look at the talkers. <laughs> well, I, I did debate as to whether we should play Hit Miss maybe live with Nick on the show about his watches. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think it's funny because let's see. Let's see who's really (laughs) honest. (laughs) Anyway, so can somebody just give me a time check as to how long we've been on for? 108. 108. Well, then we'll also bring it to a head. We will leave. We were going to look at the new tag Carrera. A glass. It's not. And Richard, <laughs> um, another time. So thank you guys all very much. Thank you especially Nick for joining. Thank you. And your value. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Likes of the poll, etc., etc. Nick, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, so you can find fears at fearswatches.com or on Instagram at fearswatches. Um, and if you want to see any behind the scenes or what crazy stuff I get up to in my life running a watch company, then it's just my name, Nicholas Bowman Scargill on Instagram. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much. You will be on a podcast with myself, Ricky, and indeed Dave. I think that is probably going out on Monday. Uh, So you can tune into that. You'll be able to catch this episode as a podcast and all the previous episodes also as a podcast on Scottish Watches Live Lugs Edition. So sign up to that. It's a separate channel from the usual Scottish Watches. Uh, And other than that, thank you very much. So goodbye from me. Bye. 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 And that was it for this week's Scottish Watches Lux Life Edition. Tune into the live version with video every Friday at 4ish p.m. UK time on the Scottish Watches Live channel. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts and YouTube videos, which you can find everywhere when searching for Scottish Watches. That's it from me, Ralph, on Instagram at coolpep underscore watches. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Oh, uh-huh.